I'ma say what I feel And I promise to keep it real Welcome to the Red Room Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerd has got no time for no kata. Sass in class, yes, that's Mr. Bolakaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Rant Room. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Screenwriters Rant Room. I am your guest host, Linnell White. I'm a television writer living and working in Los Angeles. And this episode, you just get me. Uh, no Chris, no Hilliard, no Lisa. Uh, this is going to be a special episode that just sort of does a deep dive into uh, the show called The Mandalorian. Hopefully you've seen it. It's on Disney+. Plus. This was a request from one of our listeners, Anwar, who, um, you know, when I was on the episode a few months ago, he wanted to know why I liked The Mandalorian, why I connected with it, what I thought was good about it. So I'm just going to sort of go through several episodes here. Hopefully in this episode, I cover the first four episodes of The Mandalorian, season one. Of course, you know, season two has just been released on Disney+. Plus. So I'm going to talk about season one, episodes one through four in this episode. And then hopefully I'll come back with a part two uh, in a short amount of time and talk about uh, the last, the back half of season one. Uh, Caution, there will be spoilers in this podcast. So if you have not seen season one of The Mandalorian, please stop the podcast and at least, you know, go watch the episodes before I start talking about the, about talking about the episodes because it'll just ruin it for you. All right. So let's get into this. So why... Do I like The Mandalorian? Well, for me, it's a couple of things. Um, I'll start with sort of, of course, everyone knows, if you've heard me on this podcast, I'm a sci-fi nerd. I am a Star Wars nerd, a Star Trek nerd, a Farscape. Now I'm watching Battlestar Galactica, like all of it. I I just love it. And for me, um, what this show reminds me of is something I would probably watch when I was a kid. Uh, on Saturday afternoons, you know, after you, you know, uh, for me growing up in New York, it was, I'd get up, watch some, you know, Saturday morning cartoons, and then it'd be, maybe I'd watch a little wrestling. And then somewhere in the afternoon, maybe in the early evening, there'd be some sort of action adventure show. I don't care if it's like some sort of Star Trek related show, or if it's some sort of, if you guys remember the golden age of syndication, or even something on you, you know, one of the basic cable channels, there's always some sort of sci-fi action adventure show. And typically these shows were self-contained and with a somewhat simpler narrative. Um, I think in this age of prestige TV, we've all gotten so accustomed to if something is super serialized and dark and twisty at every corner, then that's what we need to be watching. And I want to caution you against that, that there is room for episodic, simpler narratives um, that don't have 80 million plot lines going on and 80 different characters and you're all trying to maintain, you know, keep up with all of it. And then you're wondering why you can't sleep at night. Um, <laughs> so think about, you know, what you're watching and think about what effect that has on your psyche and think about, you know, 
don't just dismiss something because it isn't, you know, just dark, twisty and 18 different things going on. Sometimes it's fine to have these simpler narratives that are just a little more self-contained. And that's why I felt like this, the Mandalorian reminded me of, you know, just sort of a Saturday afternoon, Saturday evening show I used to watch when I was younger. Um, it definitely has a Western feel. It definitely has a, um, you know, a martial arts movie type feel or, or, or wandering adventurer type feel. So that's why I connected with the show. And I'll be honest with you, uh, when I first saw the pilot, uh, I wasn't crazy about it. Uh, I was on set, I remember, and it had gotten released. And I had a lot of stuff going on with the, the show I was working on at the time. So when I saw the pilot, I was like, oh, okay, you know, but having gone back and, and, and rewatched it, they're doing a lot of things that are, that are working here. And, and I want to get into what I think works. So, all right. <clears throat> Pardon me. Uh, <clears throat> so let's get into the pilot episode. So we open, and the first image we see is, is our, our hero. We'll call him Mando. We don't quite know his name yet, but we see someone you know, dressed as a Mandalorian, and he's on the hunt for his latest you know, bounty. And, we, we, and what they do is they give us sort of the rules of the world right off the top. He's got a tracking fob in his hand. He goes into the bar where we discover that there's also sort of a bounty hunter puck that gets used as well. So we're getting certain elements of how this bounty hunter business works. He goes into the bar and, you know, there's, there's a dude already, you know, it's kind of this blue looking dude and some people are roughing him up and we don't really know why. Just sort of maybe they're just picking on him because he's blue. I don't know, some sort of racism and alien racism. I don't know what's going on, but they're shoving this guy around and our Mandalorian walks in, you know, sidles up to the bar and is like you know, not really engaging in anyone, but people want to start a fight with him. You know, they're, they're kind of pushing his buttons. And right off the top, he just dismantles them in a matter of, you know, seconds. And then he gets his bounty. And it's three minutes into the pilot before our Mandalorian even says a word. And he says, I can bring you in warm or I can bring you in cold. And he's got his hand on his rifle, kind of like a throwback to a Western. And we smashed the main titles. So why does this work? So <clears throat> they are telling us this is not Boba Fett. Okay, the last image we have of someone who dressed as this Mandalorian uh, or, dr or dressed, like, you know, dressed like a Mandalorian was in Return of the Jedi. And Boba Fett, if you recall, was killed in a very silly fashion where a blind Han Solo bumps him on the barge and he falls into the, the pit where he gets eaten alive. Okay. This is not Jango Fett, who gets trampled in some sort of arena and then gets his head chopped off in front of his own kid. We are doing something more serious here. This guy's about his business. So this opening, you know, helps reset the audience to say, forget that. We're telling a different story here. We're talking about this dude is a serious bounty hunter. He's about something. Okay. So he gets a bounty and then we proceed on and, and, you know, we find out that they set up that, hey, this man, Lauren, he doesn't like droids. He won't even get in the, the speeder that gets offered for him with the droid driver. He's like, nah, I don't like droids. So the next speeder comes along. He's happy to have, uh, you know, I don't know if it's human or whatever driver, but as long as it's not a droid, even though it's, it's a beater speeder, but he's happier to get in that. So our first obstacle comes along in the pilot. You know, I'd say, you know, there was one in the bar and now we get another one. We get ice creature that's out here 
randomly eating up people and he's probably going to try and eat the ship and he does try to eat the ship and so again we're, we're showing again this is not Boba Fett this is not Jango Fett this is this is a different Mandalorian all right so he's able to fin this ice creature off the ship and get moving with his bounty and then in the cockpit our our bounty the captured blue guy is asking questions you know hey is it true you guys never take your mask your, your helmets off so now we as the viewer are getting a little bit more information about the culture that this guy comes from. You know, um, we, maybe you didn't, and I certainly didn't know it, watching Boba Fett and Django, I didn't know what, what group of people they belong to. But anyway, we're getting a little bit about, hey, I hear you guys never take off your helmets. And our Mandalorian is, is silent. I'm not engaging with this dude. I'm not doing small talk. I'm, again, I'm about my business. I don't mess around. So our little bounty guy tries to sneak in the back. He thinks he's going to be covert. Maybe I'm looking for the bathroom, but I'm going to mess around the ship, do la la la. While he's messing around, okay, more character stuff we're getting here with the Mandalorian. We're seeing, okay, he's got an armory here. You know, dude hit a button and some stuff opens up. He's got armor here. He's well equipped. Oh, now I'm also seeing all his previous bounties are in carbonite. Dude is not messing around. This is a serious bounty hunter, and clearly he's good at his job from the number of carbon freeze mofos that are standing up in this thing. Okay, so I'm reinforcing again, or they are, I should say, this is not Boba Fett. This is a new dude. This dude is about bounties, collect, money, mission, move on, okay? So then he rolls into... Uh, to collect, you know, for his several bounties, he's got like several tracking fobs. He hands them over to B Carl Weathers, and it's like it, this was clearly done in a faster amount of time than Carl Weathers is thinking. Carl Weathers tries to give him Imperial credits, and Mando's like, "Nah, Empire's gone. These are no good to me." So now we're, we, as the audience, are getting the time frame that we're in. Okay, if we weren't sure, if we didn't know when this was happening in terms of the Star Wars. You know timeline we didn't know you know when this was we're getting that okay this is somehow after return of the jedi you know some period just giving us little clues which is helpful okay so now <clears throat> uh the we find out that the the market right now for bounty hunting is kind of bad from carl weathers he's like yeah i've got this i got bail i got bail jumpers and the, but none of this is a lot of money and mando's a little bit disappointed he's looking for something a little bit more and that's when carl weathers lays it on and that's kind of what starts our show really like this is the catalyst for the series i got a different special assignment for you if you're up to it but it requires like a face-to-face -face meeting okay all right Sounds good. There's no puck. You know, there's no, it's not, it's a little different. You gotta, you know, we're not gonna do the puck thing. You gotta go see this dude, Werner Herzog, face to face. This, this, but this is a special type deal. Okay. Mando's up for it. So he goes to see Werner Herzog, is told, hey, we got this bounty for you. All we can give you, we can't give you the usual details. We can only give you his age. Like the bounty you're going after, he's 50. And none of this stuff is usual. You know, it's, it's like, oh, bring him back alive. But every, we get the sense that none of this is the norm and how business is conducted. Like face to face, can't give you all the information. Normally they don't care, they care if you come back there alive. And someone does specify, I think it's like a little doctor in the scene, he specifies alive. So this is like an unusual type bounty. 
I also love was seeing the stormtroopers again. Here's another hint when he goes in to see Werner Herzog. Here's another hint of where we are in the timeline. These stormtroopers look like their best days are behind them. Like they're all dirty, kind of roughed up, kind of edgy. Like they're living on the outskirts. Empire's gone. Okay. So anyway, he he gets the fob, the tracking fob, and 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 Mandalorian proceeds on his way. As I turn the page on my notes, um, there's a brief segment where he goes, I guess, home to where the rest of his clan, his tribe is of Mandalorians. Okay, never seen that before, but it gives us sort of a clue. Like he's not a lone wolf out here. There's some sort of community he belongs to. And there's a structure to that community because there's children running around with the masks on. There's, everyone has the masks on. And so he goes to see, you know, he hands over this, this, uh, I forget what it's called. It's like, there was a payment that was really, was it Baskar? Okay, Baskar maybe is what it was called, or Beskar in terms of the, the payment. And so he gives it to this welder and she, she melts it and she makes him sort of like a shoulder guard. And, but the scene is doing double duty, right? Because not only are we getting like invited into the Mandalorian culture to understand, okay, what is this world? Like, or what, where does he come from? And what are their ways? Also, we get this flashback while he's waiting for his piece to be welded of his childhood. And he mentions that I was a foundling. Like, so he was not born into this. They sort of adopted him into this culture. So we get a little shots of it a few flashes of sort of a violent incident and he's getting hidden by his parents and, and then we're kind of out. Great. So again, we're getting a, some character stuff about this dude in just little snippets, you know, just sort of building the Mandalorian, just, just knowing a little bit more about him. So he gets in the ship, he goes searching for the bounty, he lands and he's immediately attacked by some sort of creature uh, but then he gets saved by a new friend who, who appears. I'll call him Nick Nolte because I think Nick Nolte's doing the voice. And this is a key thing here. Well, a couple things. Um, when your hero is on their journey, it's good for them to have allies. I mean, sometimes we want to write things and we have our one hero able to do everything. And what, what we're doing here is like, yeah, we've set up he's a great bounty hunter, but even he gets in over his head. Even he can't handle every situation. Even he needs help at times. Because I think the show would be totally boring if it was just one dude, you know, rolling around that just never needed any backup or help or sidekicks or allies or whatever. So he gets an ally. And then we get another obstacle, right? We get, hey, uh, you've got to learn how to ride this wild beast, this blurg, I believe it's called. And... You know, Mando's like frustrated with it. The Blurg is not cooperating. He's getting thrown off the thing. And his new ally, Nick Nolte friend, kind of checks his ass and is like, you're a Mandalorian. Your ancestors did X, Y, Z. You can ride this thing. If they rode whatever crazy creature he mentions, you can handle this Blurg. And so again, we're getting little hints of the Mandalorians, you know, his people, where they come from, their storied history, and that they're revered. They're revered in this in this part of the Star Trek, or not Star Trek, sorry, the Star Wars galaxy that we're in, revered. The only issue, or not issue, but thing I noticed right off top is that Mandalorian is sort of walking everywhere. If you recall, like Boba Fett and Jango always had these little jetpacks on their, on their back and they were just sort of flying all over. Even when, you know, I think, I think when Boba Fett gets tossed in that pit in Return of the Jedi, I think he has a jetpack on or something and he still gets, you know, tossed and, and dies. So, but our Mandalorian doesn't, doesn't have a jetpack. 
And I think that's intentional on the part of the creators because he can, it's just a much more interesting adventure. He has to, to walk places or he has to traverse or he has to figure out his way on foot or on ground as opposed to just landing somewhere, getting a jetpack and just dropping into wherever the bounty is. It gives us so much more story possibilities if he's walking along and not just, you know, jetpacking wherever he needs to go. So he finds the location for the bounty. He sees that, that there's a droid bounty hunter there. We've already established he can't stand freaking droid, droids. And, but it, they reluctantly partner up. There's a big shootout. We also get in this big shootout that Mando's kind of smart. Like it takes him a little while to figure out the, the plan. They're outgunned, they're outmatched, but he's like, I got, he thinks it through. You do this, I'm gonna do that. And they find a way to fend off all these, uh, all these um, guys that are shooting at him. Great. But we've seen him be overwhelmed. We've seen him talk the droid out of self-destructing. Hey, I'm going to figure this out. Don't, don't just blow everything up. Like, that's not a good idea. So he has a sense of self-preservation, at least. Great. But once we get inside, where we believe, where the bounty is, and we see that it's a baby, and Mando immediately is like, oh, no, no. They told me it was 50 years old. I'm expecting 50 years old. I'm expecting like an adult at least. This is a baby. And he didn't say all that, but just with that one line of dialogue, they told me it was 50. That's all I need to know. He's got a problem with this, right? Like this is a baby. I'm, I'm cool with doing bounties. I'm, I've, you've seen how I roll. You've seen the back of my ship. I had tens of people in, in carbonite just stacked up. I'm about my business. But whoa, this is, this is different. So when people start asking questions of like, why now? Why is this happening? You know, with your screenplays, you have to be able to, you know, sort of speak to why is this different? Because it's a baby this time. This is not the usual thing he's used to going after. Okay. So the droid bounty hunter is like, well, I was told to terminate and, you know, Mando's not going to go for it. He shoots the droid, you know, sneakily. And we end on him looking at this baby and we're kind of off on the adventure. So the pilot is only 36 minutes. I know some people might've felt shortchanged by that. Initially I did when I first watched it, I was like, oh, is that it? But when you think about it, when you watch stuff on network television, those, it's typically 42 minutes of content and the rest is all commercials in that hour. So maybe then you got cheated of, of like an act or so uh, you know, about six minutes of content, which might've been like an act, but I still feel like, um, you know, I felt, I felt pretty good. Like this sets up the why, and you know, this is different. It's a baby. It's a different kind of bounty. Like what's going on here? At least starts the question. So, and that's the end of the pilot. Okay. So let's get into chapter two titled the child of Mandalorian season one. And what I'm going to say overall is that this episode is basically one A story. So typically, when you're watching television, there's, there's an A story, a B story, and a C story, meaning that there's an A story, which is like sort of the primary thread. If you're watching a procedural, it's like, oh, we've got to get the killer, um, you know, as a main thing driving the storyline. And then there's probably a B story where it's a separate storyline with probably some different characters involved and not as many scenes, but it's still sort of, you know, running in parallel with the A story. And then 
Occasionally, you'll also have a C story added to that, which might be a couple of beats, a couple of scenes. Maybe it's it could be a little bit funnier or, or, or different in tone than the, what the A and the B story are doing. Um, so typically, you'll see three storylines, kind of you know, up to three storylines, if not more. Some some of these serialized shows get you know even crazier with just so many things happening. But this is one A story in this episode. It's Mandalorian with the baby and he's got to figure out how to get off this planet and he's got obstacles thrown in his way. That's it. And this goes back to what I was saying about the pilot where I appreciate the Mandalorian because to me, it's a little bit like comfort food. You know, sometimes I just want the steak and potatoes. I don't need a five course meal. I don't need something complicated. I want something I can digest and be entertained by, but isn't overly complicated, especially when we're in a pandemic, there's racial unrest, there's a pending election. Uh, there's just a lot, you know, there's uh, um, climate change happening, people, hurricanes every week. Everything is just, it just seems like the world's on fire. If, well, <laughs> literally almost if you live in, in on the West Coast, like I do, we had a lot of wildfires. So I'm just saying there's so much happening in the world. Just It's just nice to have something that's just a, a little bit simpler, a little bit less complicated to watch. All right, I'll, I'll quit foot stomping on that. I think I've kind of made my point about how I <laughs> protect your brains, people. That's all I'm saying. Protect your brains and mix up what you're watching. Don't keep watching. All, if you're watching all this dark and twisty stuff in, in this particular time period, I don't know how you're doing that. Okay. Um, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm backing off that. I'm looking for stuff that's a little bit simpler and a little bit more hopeful because the reality we're living in is, is, is quite stressful and dire. Okay. All right. So, the child opens up with uh, Mando and the baby, and uh, they're on foot, as I talked about before. It gives you just more, with him walking everywhere, it just gives you more opportunity for story. And they get ambushed. Mando gets in this really cool hand-to-hand fight with, with some other, turns out, bounty hunters, because we later see the tracking fob. So we get a sense that, okay, others are after this baby. Okay, that's a problem. That's an obstacle. Time to get off this freaking planet. If there's other tracking fobs, other bounty hunters coming after this baby, uh, we, we got to get going. We get sort of a hint. There's like a quiet moment where it's just Mando and the baby at night and he's trying to fix himself up. And we get a sense that maybe the baby, baby Yoda, I'll call, I'll call the creature <laughs> as everyone else is. I'm not, you know, I don't, I don't know what the name of this thing is, but has a sense we get a sense that this baby might have powers, might, might have abilities, but Mando isn't seeing that right now. He's just seeing at this point, this is my bounty. He's getting out of his little carriage, put him back in the carriage and let's keep it moving. And then we get our, another obstacle. Uh, we get back to his ship and the Jawas, the treacherous little bastards they are, have stripped the ship for parts and he tries to start the engines and it's not going to go anywhere. And then he goes after their Jawa tank. He fails. You know, he, t- he tries to mount some sort of offense against the, the Jawa tank. They overwhelm him, they shoot him, and he, he falls to the ground. Now, why am I recapping all this? Why is this relevant? Because this speaks to a thing I try and I try and do in my own writing and I remind other people to do also. It's what I call, but then and therefore. So between your scenes, you need to be, if you can insert the word between your scenes, if you can insert the word, but then 
and then the scene happens, and then therefore another scene happens. I'll, I'll explain what I'm talking about. So he he's he gets back to his ship, but the Jawas have stripped it for parts. And therefore, he goes after the Jawas to try and recover his parts. He goes after the, the crawling, you know, sort of tank-looking thing. But the Jawas mount, you know, a defense and stop him from getting the parts. And therefore, Mando has to go back to our ally, which we set up in the previous episode, for help. So you see how that works? It's like, but then this happens, but then that happens, and therefore that needs to happen. But then this happens, and therefore that needs to happen. So all that that I just explained takes us to him going back to his ally. And, you know, the ally says, hey, you got to go make, make, you got to offer them something. You got to go trade for your parts. So they go, they track down the Jawas. And we get this great line, which I, I love. Uh, where, you know, because Mando's guys rifle out when they approach the Jawas at, the, at their tank, and he says, I'm a Mandalorian, weapons are part of my religion. It's a great line, but it also informs us a little bit more of, like, his, his way of life, you know, how he's come up in the world. Like, this is, you know, it's hard for me to put my rifle down, and he, sh- and he shows us that he's reluctant to put that rifle down, because this is, this is, this is, this is what I do here, people. Okay, so which I, I thought was great. So the scene kind of does a little bit double duty, like, yeah, they're encountering the Jawas, but still you're giving a little hint of like Mando's character's backstory. Okay, but the Jawas want him to go get this, you know, they want, they, you know, the, what they want to trade for, they want this egg and he has to, he has to go get it. If you want your parts back, go get us the egg. Okay, fine. So another obstacle thrown at our guy. Great. So we've had several already this episode. So he goes to get the egg and um, it's not as simple as it might seem because a sort of one horned beast comes out and attacks him and really kind of works him over pretty good. Uh, Mando's throwing everything, he, you know, everything but the kitchen sink at him, his, little, his flames, his, 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 um, his you know, wire that he shoots out, he's, you know, his, his gun is jammed. He's throwing everything at this you know, horned beast and it's getting his ass kicked. It's getting his ass handed to him. Great. So we've seen him fail in terms of getting his parts back from the Jawas. Now I'm seeing him fail again with this horned creature just like batting him around like a rag doll, which is important. You know, your hero can't always just, you know, save the day. It should be difficult. It should be hard. So that when he finally does get the egg, it's like, oh, okay, you know, something was done for it. So he gets an assist from Baby Yoda. You know, Baby Yoda's got some powers. We finally see it on full display where he holds the, the creature up in the air and Mando's able to go in for the kill. And then we get this great moment of like Mando looking at that baby with just new eyes, right? He has a different sort of respect for this baby. Like, I don't understand what you are. You know, first of all, I respect you, one, because you helped me. But number two, you clearly have some abilities that I can't even sort of comprehend. And they move on. Mando gets the egg. They go back to the Jawas. And what's interesting to me is Mando has no issue turning that egg over to the Jawas. He doesn't have that, you know, he had an issue. He's got an issue with this child, you know, being the bounty and being young. And I was told he was 50. But yet when it comes to this egg, which could have a baby inside of it, he just hands it over to Jawas like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't care. And I don't know what, why, I can only sense that his connection to that child as I'm re-watching this might be because, you know, we've established that Mando was a foundling. 
and he was a child when he was brought into the Mandalorian culture. And, you know, he was a child when he lost his parents. And so maybe that's why there's a certain kinship with this baby Yoda situation. I'm not quite sure, but it seems like he has a, a certain connection to this child. And I don't know if it stems from his own childhood and, you know, the trauma he had of being separated from the parents and then being brought into this really cool Mandalorian culture. Um, and then the, the our lovely ally, which we set up in the previous episode, who happens to have a huge skill set, uh, helps him uh, fix the ship. And we get this cool A-team like montage as they work on the ship together. They get it back in shape. Um, there's a little bit of a, a parting with the ally, you know, which is, you know, I don't I don't know. I feel I felt a little bit like why didn't the, the ally must want something. But I guess he, he wanted peace in his valley. And he says the Mandalorian brought that to him. OK, but I just felt like. Maybe the ally wants, I don't know, something, you know, like, I don't know, something, but he didn't want anything. So we're on the ship and uh, I want to point out how differently he, Mando treats this baby than he did his previous bounty we saw him with in episode one, right? And the pilot, blue guy, is in handcuffs. He fucks around the back of the ship. He's in carbon freeze like that, like no hesitation, business the baby is allowed to sleep in his little carriage and Mando's sitting there checking on him you know like there's no restraints you know he seems concerned about this baby bounty if you will he didn't give a rat's rectum about blue man previous episode but this is like okay and I think that goes back to the baby helped him you know he was about to get get you know stabbed by the stab he's about to get run through with a horn with that beast and his baby was like nah not today. And then we end. I think the ending's a little bit soft. It's just the two of them, you know, in the in the ship, you know, you know, flying off, if you will. Um, but you get a sense that there's a different relationship between the hunter and the hunted as we end episode two. Okay, so let's get into episode three, uh, or chapter three, I guess they're calling them, entitled "The Sin." And before I get too far along here, I just want to make a couple um, comments about how gorgeous the show is shot, um, especially when I see Man- the Mandalorian sort of walking towards the sunset. I just, I just think the palette is gorgeous. I just think all the cinematography is gorgeous. So I know I'm trying. I'm here to talk about the writing aspect of it, but I just appreciate how the show looks. I think it just it just looks amazing. Um, and my other comment about episode two is. Um, you know, the egg that Mandalorian acquires from, I guess it's called a, some, uh, um, I forget the name of the, the something horn, mudhorn. It's a mudhorn. So he gets the egg from the mudhorn, he hands it over to the Jawas, they crack it open immediately, and it's just all soft inside. It reminds me of like a Cadbury cream egg, if you people know what those are. I know there's people that eat Cadbury cream eggs. It grosses me out every time I see those things in the stores. There's so many better options for your candy, people. I mean, there's Snickers, there's Twix, there's Kit Kat, Baby Ruth, Hershey, uh, you know, Hershey with almonds, Hershey dark chocolate. I mean, whatever. But the, the Cadbury cream egg, if you're into that, I think you need to start making some better life choices. But I digress. So into episode three, um, we get Mando and Baby Yoda, who to me just looks so freaking cute. I mean, just, and I normally don't, you know, fall for like, I get it. They want to sell toys. Let's, let's not, let's not make any mistake. They're, they want to sell a bunch of baby Yodas, okay, in the stores. But 
I just think his eyes, I think they've really, you know, we don't do the puppets anymore, sadly. Um, but this, I think this is a good compromise. I don't know how they're doing it. Probably CGI, but it just feels like, just feels a little bit more authentic. Anyway, Baby Yoda is adorable. He's in the cockpit. He's messing around with one of the levers in the jet. And, um, you know, Mando kind of chastised him. Like, this is not a toy. You know, don't mess with this. Like, you know, and he's still in that mode, I think, of you're the bounty. I'm going to turn you in. And whole, the whole way that he, you know, he arrives, I guess this planet is Tatooine. I'm, I'm guessing. I mean, I, I'm not quite sure what planet they're on there. But um, Baby Yoda is looking really stressed out as Mando is sort of walking him towards, you know, the Werner Herzog shop to collect his bounty. So he takes uh, Baby Yoda in there. There's a little bit of exchange. Werner Herzog is going to pay Mandalorian for a job well done. A bunch of Beskar, you know, steel, I guess it is. And we get this last look from Baby Yoda as he's being taken away. And it just is so sad. And now I'm feeling for this little baby. And Mando takes the money. And he's about to walk out. And he stops and says to Werner Herzog, what are your plans for it? And this kind of gets Herzog's attention because this is, this is unusual. You're asking questions that are not normally asked. You're the bounty hunter. You get the, you get the object. You bring it back. You get paid. And then you beat it. No, you know, not a lot of discussion. But this is one of those things where we're showing you that today is different in our little, in our universe, in our world. Mando's doing things he doesn't normally do. He's asking questions he shouldn't normally ask. So when people say, well, why now? Or what is it, what, what makes your story sort of jump off? What's the catalyst for your story? It's him deciding, oh, he actually kind of gives a shit about this little baby. Okay. And then um, the, the teaser, he takes the money and then we go to main title. So we're thinking, okay, he's going to carry on his merry way. And he goes back to his community, takes the, the, the Beskar steel in. And we get a little bit more backstory about the Mandalorian people, which is great. Because we, we've only gotten like little snippets. And there's a lot of discussion about how they, you know, the Empire kind of ruined their lives. And they're trying to, they're basically living underground. The key thing for me was... Only one of them can come above ground at a time. So from that, I gather, Romando is like sucking up all the oxygen. And the rest of them, like he keeps going out on mission after mission after mission. And the rest of them are kind of like stuck in the basement. Which now I'm understanding why there's probably some resentment. He got a lot of eyeballs, a lot of like side looks and stuff when he came strutting back in there. Like, hey, what about us? Why do you keep going above surface and we're all kind of stuck down here. I, that's kind of the impression I got. And there's even a little, uh, you know, fight with another Mandalorian in there, uh, in front of the, in the little welding room, if you will. So he's got conflict and beef with his own people right now because he's out there taking money and they kind of point that, oh, this isn't, this is, this got an imperial stamp on it. So this is not okay. So there's just, there's just a beef with his own people. And um, they sort of, and then we get into a more reinforcement of have you taken your helmet off? Let's, again, if you missed it the first time, we're reinforcing the helmet is a big deal on this show. Like not revealing your identity is a big deal. So now we're we're we've mentioned that a couple times now. If you missed it the first in the first couple episodes, here it is again. again episode three is really important that these Mandalorians keep their helmets on all the time. And then we get you know the mantra of the Mandalorian community, if you will. Make it so. No, I'm just kidding. It's not make it so. It's so say we all. 
No, I'm just kidding. It's not that either. It's <laughs> messing with y'all. It's this is the way, which I think is just really cool, simple. And they all kind of repeat it like this is how we do our business. OK, this is this is how we've done it forever. And we will continue doing it this way. I find it interesting that Mando, while he's getting his army made or maybe just before he mentions again, like some of this Beskar, you know, some of the pro- the proceeds from this Beskar should go towards the foundlings. There he is again, talking about the foundlings, the little the little kids. And then we get these flashbacks while she's welding again of his, you know, his the last time he was with his parents, there was some sort of ambush. We can only assume it was the Empire attacking and he gets shoved in this sort of a little hiding place. And, um, you know, we see more images of that. So there was some violence. He got abandoned. And then, you know, we're out. Um, the other thing about this scene, it's doing, you know, not only is she welding the thing, we're getting a little bit more of his backstory. It's doing even, you know, have your scenes do multiple things at at one time. It sets up this new gadget that she gives him, um, whistling birds or something along those lines that's called. And we don't really understand what it is, but like, okay, he's like Bond getting some sort of gadget and she sort of gives him some advice on, Hey, you know, when to use it, when not to. And then we're out. Now Mando goes back to see Carl Weathers in the bar. That's all Carl Weathers does is hang out in the bar all day, but okay. So Mando is going to go back. He's got his new armor all made. He's got some swagger. He's walking in there. He's the man. And we see the other bounty hunters kind of looking at him like, well, who the fuck does this guy think he is? You know, uh, strutting in here, all shiny and new. And the rest of us look like Jabba the Hutt's ass crack right now. And he's coming in here brand new. And even one of the bounty hunters at the bar, this is like a cool little, you know, for those I know, you know, somebody turns around at the bar and says, Ichuta. And if you know, you know. And I just, every time I hear that, I just crack up because that's a reference to Empire, Empire Strikes Back, which I thought was really cool. Um, so, and th- this seems like, you might look at this and say, okay, Mando is going to interact with Carl Weathers. He's going to, you know, get his payment and then, and then get his next job. But if you dig a little deeper, there's a lot going on in this scene. Okay. Um, so yeah, he wants to, you know, get the payment from Carl Weathers. Um, but also, uh, Carl Weathers is like, Hey, you know, why don't you go take a vacation? Why don't you go you know, take some time off? You know? And Mando's like, Nope. I just want my next job. I want it to be far away. I want to, you know, I want to just want to get going again. Carl Weathers kind of looks at him like, okay, that's, that's kind of weird, but okay. So again, we're distinguishing that Mando's a little bit different from that piece of shit Boba Fett who we saw in Return of the Jedi who was hanging out in Jabba's palace watching girls dance. So Boba Fett would take a couple days off, take a holiday, whatever. But Mando's like, nah, let me just keep it moving. Now, I don't know. And so it's, he's a workaholic. But also, I think that's because, um, you know, he's he's really affected by this baby situation. He just turned that baby over. So he's trying to get his mind off it. Like, give me my next thing. Let it be far away. Let me get going. And again, he's about to leave. You know, he's about to leave. Their little transaction is done. And he's like, again, asking questions about the baby of Carl Weathers. And even Carl Weathers, again, is taking it back like, hey, um, that's against the guild code. You know, you asking about these things. So, so the scene does a couple different things. He's got to come in. He's got to, you know, get his payment from Carl Weathers. He's getting shade from the other bounty hunters who are eyeballing him. Like, you think you're the man around here? Okay, we'll see about that. And then we get workaholic Mando, a little bit of character development there. We get that he's no lazy piece of crap like Boba Fett. And, uh, 
you know, he's he's trying to move on from this from this situation with the kid. He's like, ah, let me give him my next thing. Let go. So he gets back to his ship. He's about to go. And then he sees that unscrewed ball that baby Yoda left on, on, I don't know if it's his throttle. I don't know if it's his fuel line, fuel pump. I don't know what it is in his cockpit. I don't know. I, I, I don't know what house his particular air, his particular jet works or whatever. And what I want to say here is, you know, there's a long beat on screen of him sort of looking at that, you know, that the ball missing on that um, lever and then him kind of contemplating. And I guarantee you, if we found the script for this episode, that shit is on the page. Okay. Probably with a lot of like somebody hitting the return key, you know, long contemplative beat, or he takes, you know, he, he stares at it lost for a moment, however you want to phrase it. But I guarantee you that's on the page. You got to give that space, give that room. So, cause that's a whole beat where he's just sort of, he's like, which, what's he going to do here? And he decides that he's going to go back and try and get baby Yoda. He throttles back, shuts the jet down. He's going. Um, and this entire episode, I feel like we've been reminded of the rules of the game. Okay. We get, this is the way the mantra from his, 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 um, community. Uh, we get from Werner Herzog and Carl Weathers, like here, the, you know, here's how this shit's supposed to go. You turn over the bounty, you get your money, you forget about it. You repeat. And we, and we just continue on. But today is different. Today, Mano says, fuck that shit. Fuck how we normally do things. Fuck the rules. I'm going to get Baby Yoda. Um, comment here, or I'll just say a couple things about, you know, with the, the, this episode, I actually think does have a B story. Okay. So the A story is this whole, um, you know, struggle that Mando's having in terms of like, I'm going to turn the kid in, but I've got remorse and, I'm going to, and I regret. I'm going to go back and get the kid. That's your A story. You know, Mando going to go rescue that baby. But the B story is set up with, I'd say, his, his conflict with his own community. You know, he's, he's got un, unresolved things with his own people that's set up. And how's that going to, how's that going to play out? So I think that's uh, A story and B story. I can't really think of a C story that's happening in this episode, but I'd say those two what jumped out at me. So he goes to rescue baby Yoda. We get this really cool uh, stormtrooper type fight in the darkness. Um, stormtroopers are a little bit more skilled here, but not much <laughs> more. I mean, at least they're not completely just incompetent like we've seen them be, you know, in some of the, some of the movies. And we also, he gets cornered, right? It's good to get your, your protagonist in some situations where it looks like, okay, he's surrounded. You know, the stormtroopers surround him. You know, he's, he's outgunned, outmatched, and then he, we pay off that new gadget that the armor uh, lady had given him earlier, all right? So set up earlier, gets the gadget, later he uses the gadget, simple. And you, the whistling bird thing, whatever it's called. Um, and then he's, you know, he's got, he's got baby Yobi, he's going to get out of there, but oh no, the other bounty hunters, which we set up earlier, who kind of hate Mando, who are kind of jealous and resentful, and he's walking around his brand new outfit, uh, also have tracking fobs. So they're on his ass and they, they not only want revenge for him being for, and Carl Weathers kind of is like, this is my top guy. And he kind of like twists a knife in their back where they're all trying to sit there and drink their, drink their beer or whatever it is they're having in there. Carl Weathers is like, fuck all of y'all. Y'all aren't really that good. This is my man. I mean, of course there's going to be beef. It just builds the tension. So not only does Mando have beef with like his other Mandalorians, he's got beef with the other bounty hunters. Great. 
So he's got conflict coming at him from every which, which, which way. So we, uh, Mando gets outnumbered by Carl Weathers and the other bounty hunters. And we have a, you know, we have a couple like all his lost moments. It's like he's outnumbered by them. He's going to fight his way out of there. He's going to shoot his way out of there. Again, he winds up on a speeder with a droid driver. And what did we set up in episode one in the pilot? Oh, he hates droids. He's reluctantly having to accept the hate, the help of a droid. Once again, kind of like we saw in the pilot. And then there's a sort of a back and forth fight. And, um, you know, Mando's, you know, he's got his crazy gun that just evaporates people. Then he's got his, his fire. He's burning people up and he, he's holding them off. But they're all closing in and all looks lost. Like, oh, my goodness, he's trapped. They're going to get Baby Yoda. Or maybe you're thinking for a second, I was thinking, oh, Baby Yoda might, you know, do some sort of power thing and save, you know, save again. But Baby Yoda's like, nah, not this time, bro. No, it's his people show up with all their jetpacks breaking the rules of all being seen above ground together to help Mando do a thing that is really like not what he's supposed to be doing. And I, I, if I bump on anything in this episode, it's like, well, what changes their mind? Like what makes, cause even a dude he had to fight with the beef with, he's there like with like a machine gun type thing, blowing people, blowing people out. And I'm like, well, what, you know, I just, maybe if I had another beat to say, well, what shifted their, mindset and did they know he was gonna go do this you know steal this baby I don't maybe I missed something and maybe you guys can message me and tell me oh you missed the whole thing um but yeah it was just sort of a a shift it's great that they show up but I just was kind of missing like okay why are they here um yeah and um so Mando's able to get away because his friends are helping him and they're they're taking care of all the bounty hunters I mean a bunch of Mandalorians against these bounty hunters who you know whatever who are probably half drunk anyway uh not much of a matchup he gets to the ship. Once again, we throw another obstacle at him. Carl Weathers is on the ship and he's talking about you broke the code. Again, we're reinforcing that Mando is doing shit that isn't supposed to be done. You're, you're changing the way stuff is normally supposed to happen. And Mando quickly handles uh, Carl Weathers and shoots him and Carl Weathers tumbles out on the ground. But then he reveals that the Beskar steel saved him. Now that was set up in an earlier scene. You know, that he, he showed us that he was getting paid too. He had the best car in his sort of his lapel or whatever. So that saves him later on. So again, set up early, pay off later. Same thing with the little whistling bird. Set up early, pay off later. Um, I thought it was a cute little nod to the jetpack situation where it's clear Mando is not using the jetpacks. And I told you why earlier or why I think why, because it just helps the story. story you know, it lets him have more adventures than just riding around jetpack. But the fact that he says, I got to get one of those, I just thought that was cute. And then... Again, showing how the how Mando the character has, has shifted. Opening scene, he's annoyed that Baby Yoda's touching the throttles, taking the ball off. Now, what does he do at the end? Hands Baby Yoda a little ball. Here, play with that kid. And I just feel like at the end of this episode, I is where it really hits for me that the series is kicking into like, okay, now the adventure begins. Now he has made a very specific life choice. Mandalorian, the Mandalorian, I mean, it's very, very specific life, life choice. And there's kind of no going back. You know, he's, he's pissed off Carl Weathers. He's kind of pissed off his own people a little bit. You know, I think they're probably still like, you know, you, you're doing too. And, and even if it's mentioned that they have to now relocate because they've all come above ground, but it's just sort of like, well, this is the way, you know, um, he's, you know, he's probably pissed off, obviously pissed off the Werner Herzog and his little 
bunch of stormtrooper contingent or whatever. It's, it's a lot here. So now we've, we've upped the stakes. You've done the thing, Bounty Hunter, that you're not supposed to do. You've attached yourself to the quarry. Who does that? Oh, man, Lauren does. So that's why I feel like, you know, there's a lot happening in the episode, but it, it kind of is what, for me, really gets the series. And not that the first, episode, first two episodes are bad, but now from here, it's like, okay, this is the line's been drawn. I almost, I was almost quote, quoted Star Trek. I'm not going to do it. But the line's been drawn and he's crossed it. And now where do we go from here? All right. So let's get into chapter four, Sanctuary. Um, this might be a good place for me to just sort of mention that I think the Mandalorian himself, while we can't see his face, so then the actor has to do, you know, he has to convey everything just with his body, just with his, the way he moves, the way, you know, his, his stance, everything just becomes that much more critical since we can't get any kind of expression from his face. And a lot of people worry about that when the, when you know, that was kind of mentioned that he, the actor would be under the helmet the entire time for the show. But I think it works fantastic. And I think, you know, uh, I, I kind of think the Mandalorian is, is attractive and sexy in his own way. The way he kind of walks into a space and occupies it and owns it. Um, they just feel like there's a noble guy underneath that suit of armor. Um yeah, that's all I'm going to say. But yeah, I think it I think it all works. I think he's attractive. I'm invested in you know what he's doing, who he is, his backstory, his character, and so I, by episode 4, I'm I'm all in. All right, so this episode opens on a planet that we have we don't even know what's where it is or what's going on. It's like this small little agrarian farming community. They're not the people are not really technology based. You see them fishing with baskets and sort of um living the simple life. Uh, it's idyllic. Um, even the music helps with that, just to convey that. And then all of a sudden, these these sort of dog faced raiders come out of the woods and roll in and, and attack this little village and take their supplies. And it's all very, it feel it felt very western to me. Like we've got our town, and freaking Jesse James and his crew come through and and you know steal a bunch of stuff and plunder and etc etc bad bad things shoot some people bad things and then we go to main titles and we come back and uh, we got mando and baby yoda hanging out in the cockpit i mean he's literally putting the thing in his lap now so you see the progression of their relationship first baby yoda's in the little carriage don't touch that don't touch that whatever now it's like yeah he's all up front flipping switches and you put him, you put him in his, you, Mando puts him in his lap. You know, it's like, he's getting kind of used to this kid, it seems like. Um, but they're looking for a place to lay low. Uh, Mando's scanning for planets. He thinks he finds a good option. And, uh, you know, they land. And of course there's a cute little moment of just so, again, showing the progression of their relationship, right? Because Mando's like, Hey, you're going to stay here in the ship. You're going to stay in the ship. Don't touch anything. Stay here in the ship. Like really, you know, his, his parenting style needs a little work, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, but his parenting style is very much like, do as I say. And Baby Yoda's like, nah, I'm coming with. And it's like, all right, fine. So our first obstacle occurs when we get into, you know, a nice little bar, and we're going to give the kids some soup, and Mando sees a woman. And we find out later that she's a shock trooper, but, you know, it's like, that's not, a, you know, he's not, he's not trying to have these encounters with, with other people that, um, 
you know, he's he's looking to be the the lone gunman in this in this world. I guess is what what his intent was, and to see her there is kind of a problem. So anyway, even before that, you know, they get into a fight because she thinks he's she, he's a bounty hunter after her. Um, there's a cute little moment where um, after the fight, because they're both trying to stake their turf, so they have this fight, and then um, it's like you know, it's uh, Baby Yoda's like just rolls up on him drinking a soup, which I thought was cute. So it's like. I mean, understand the rhythms here. It's like, just because you had a fight doesn't mean you can't insert insert a moment of levity. Like, it's cool to go back and forth. You know, if you just get, have fight after fight after fight after fight, it sort of gets a little bit monotonous. And I think that this show does it really well. It's like, yeah, we have a fight. Then we have a moment of like a slower moment, sort of catch our breath, you know, maybe do some character development, maybe um, build some relationships and then go back to action, fight, whatever. Okay. So the back and forth, I think really helps keep an audience engaged and helps us from getting exhausted by the monotony. You know, I, when I, something like, you know, some of these action movies, I think it's the one with Keanu Reeves, John Wick or whatever. And it's just like nonstop fight after fight after that. I find myself just sort of mentally checking out, but that's just me. All right. So Mando is like, all right, this plan is taken. We got to, you know, I'm going to get out of here. And he goes back to his ship and then these farmers appear. Now, how they find him, I'm not quite sure. Um, I know they saw his ship, you know, flying over their head. But like how you how you found his ship, I'm not quite sure. Um, so the farmers make an offer of like, hey, come protect our village. We have money. And, you know, one of the rules of screenwriting, you know, sometimes it's like when someone makes an offer, have your protagonist say no, you know, right at the top. Like make it don't make it so easy that people just accept. So. Um, it took, it took, it takes Mando a moment to kind of come around and say, okay, I will help you. But that's only after he finds out these farmers, A, live in the middle of no, uh, middle of nowhere and B, have lodging. So that's useful to him. So initially he's like, nah, not going to get involved with any more, any more bullshit. I've got this kid. We're going to get out of here. It's like, oh no, you have something of value to me. Well, now, now that's something. Now let's do a deal. Uh, he enlists the help of the shock trooper, you know, to, Hey, come with me. We'll take out these Raiders. Um, the farmers have something we need, you know, lodging in the middle of nowhere. We both need to lay low. How does this work for you? I'll even give you the credits. Come along. And she agrees. Yeah. Give something to get something, I guess. Um, so, and then we get a, a couple scenes of Mando sort of settling into this nice community. He's got a few moments with the, the farm woman who, you know, that we saw in the teaser that was hiding under the basket. Um, but don't, don't be fooled. I mean, a lot of these scenes are doing double duty. So um, we get Mando settling in. Of course, Baby Yoda is like, you know, just the, the, the bell of the ball because all the kids want to play with Baby Yoda. Um, but we're getting a sense that, you know, every time we come in on Mando, he's like cleaning his weapons or doing some sort of work or task. Guy doesn't relax, does he? So it's telling it's like... You know, the scenes are telling us a little bit more about his character. And then also, he doesn't know how to parent. Like, the little girl comes in, the daughter of the farm woman comes in, and it's like, hey, can I feed him? Can I play with him? And it's like, and Mando's like getting uptight, like, ah, I don't know. And, and, and it takes the farm woman to be like, I know kids. I know how they do. It's going to be fine. Like, calm down, you know? Um, and the other thing we get in these scenes there's a couple with the farm woman and like, she's kind of eyeballing them. I can tell she's got, she's already, she's already looking at Mando. Like he's a prospect. I, that's, that's obvious to me. But then the other thing is like, we get a little bit more of his backstory. Right. So she's asking, you know, when was the last time you took that helmet off? And first he's like yesterday. And then we find out, Oh, 
No, he hasn't shown his face to another person since he was a small child. Wow. Okay. That's a commitment. That's huge. So again, we're getting a little, you know, where they're sprinkling little tidbits. They don't give it to us all in like some exposition dump about the Mandalorians. They're giving it to us in little pieces, little segments, little moments, you know, in, in several episodes, but I think it's cool. You know, you don't have to give it to us all at once. Um, I'm not sure why he takes the helmet off, you know, at the window and there's like, like kids not too far away out playing, but I guess he really wanted to eat his little snacks that the farm woman brought. I don't know. I thought that was a little bit weird. Okay. So he's got his ally, the shock trooper. I talked to you. I talked about this earlier in a previous episode. It's really important for your protagonist to have allies. It gives them someone to talk to while they're on the adventure. Cause imagine him being out in the forest and just looking around, like how interesting would that be? So he's got someone he can kind of communicate back and forth with. And it gives, you know, um, you know, it sort of splits up the, you know, it sort of splits up the responsibilities a little bit. Like our guy doesn't have to do every damn thing. I know the show is called the Mandalorian, but he does not have to do every single thing. All right. So he's got his ally. They're going to go on a recon mission to sort of see where the Raiders come from, how many of them are. And oh dear, obstacle again, we find out that they've got an Imperial Walker, AKA an ATST. And this is bad. And the sh- even the shock troopers like, this ain't what I sign up for. I mean, those things take out entire companies. Uh, this ain't going to work out. So not good. So we go back to the village. And there's this great moment of Mando. Doesn't have much of a bedside manner. He says, bad news. You can't live here anymore. And he, again, that's, in- that's funny and interesting or whatever. But it's also given us the idea. Mando doesn't understand a permanent home. You know, he, he's living with, you know, his, his people, the Mandalorians, we've already kind of heard them say like, oh, we're going to re- relocate our haven. Like we've exposed ourselves. We're going to move somewhere. So I think they, they, they pack up and move, you know, probably pretty routinely. And, and you know, um, it's not a thing for them. So he doesn't get a permanent residence. He doesn't get settling down. And when, so when, when Mando and the shock trooper are like, all right, you know, uh, there's a, there's an Imperial Walker. Um, you guys need to move. Uh, there's nothing we can do for you. It's cool to me how the civilians don't just accept it. They push back. They're like, oh, no, no. We paid you. You took the job. We've been feeding you. You got you to gotta do something. You got to help. And it's like, man, I was like, you know, so both sides are right here. I guess that's the point I want to make. Try and make, you know, if you have situations where both sides are right. Mando's right. It's a, it's a freaking Imperial Walker. We're outgunned and outmatched. The people are right because they're like, no, no, we paid you. We've been playing with your little baby. We've been taking care of you. You're here to protect us. Do your job. Cool. That's conflict. Both sides are right. But the people don't want to leave. And it finally dawns on Mando. Well, it's like, okay, we can train them to fight, you know, because the shock troopers like, you guys aren't fighters. Shouldn't say it in that voice, but she says something along those lines. And so we get this cool training montage a la like the A-team. You know, and we get the plan about, and what, what I liked about this episode was we don't spend a whole lot of time on the training and the plan and, and even the, even the action sequence, the fight between the Raiders and the, and the, and the farmers and the village later on, it doesn't take, you know, 25 minutes. We sort of, we sort of move things along pretty quickly, which I, which I appreciate. Cause I just, you know, I, you don't need that. You don't need to be that extended in, in episodic television. So we're using the teacher man, a fish mentality. So Amanda's going to, you know, train people how to shoot. You know, we see a little, another little moment of connection between him and the farmer woman because she can shoot a rifle and he respects that. And he kind of nods his head. 
every time, and there's a couple moments where they are together, and I'll say this, I would bet if I found the script, it's on the page specifically, something along the lines of a long look between Mando and the farm woman, a lingering glance, uh, their eyes connect, but they're interrupted by shock troopers. Something along those lines is probably on the page, you know, they make those moments sort of clear that things are slowing down, hit that return key, you know, leave some white space, like this is a moment here, let's take it. All right, so the plan is Mando and Shock Trooper are gonna go out, you know, where the Raiders live and provoke them to get them to activate and get the Imperial Walker to come back and everything's going fine. They get into a little, a tent where, you know, the the dog-faced Raiders are living and then they set a, a charge that's gonna go off and then, but while they're doing that, they're about to get out of the tent with the Raiders keep coming in and we have this fisticuffs fight or whatever. But the charge keeps blinking on the wall. So that gives us this cool ticking clock in this little short little scene. We get a ticking clock of, oh crap, this thing is going to blow any second. And they're in here, you know, punching and kicking and doing MMA. So, and then they get, and so our heroes are able to fight off the Raiders and just make it out of the tent in the nick of time. So it's just a little something, not, not a huge thing, but just something to sort of make the scene a little bit more active. Like, yeah, you could have had a scene where it's like, yeah, we're just brawling in the room or whatever, but no, you put, that bomb is ticking, it's blinking, it's gonna come any minute, and are we gonna make it out? So the Imperial Walker gets uh, activated, and this thing, I mean, as advertised, is hard charging. Like, it, Mando and Shock Trooper on the run getting almost blown the hell up, by this thing. And it's, it's not, you know, it's like, okay, it's a real threat. Make that, make that really clear. This is a, this is not like, you know, when I, when I don't Ewoks on indoor here where people are taking logs and just knocking this thing out yet. Okay. <laughs> so they're on the run because we're building that fear back up. Cause the last time, again, last time we saw these you know, Imperial walkers, if you're watching return of the Jedi, whatever, it's like, and I'm discounting the most recent movies, forgive me, but um, last time we saw these Imperial Walkers or whatever, it's like, you know, they kind of made a joke out of them. So no, let's make it serious again. But we hit our first obstacle where the Imperial Walker kind of uh, pulls up before he's supposed to, you know, a trip over, trip into the, you know, the, the pond or the, you know, whatever they've, you know, the ledge or whatever, trip over the ledge or whatever. So it doesn't quite happen. So obstacle. Now we got to improvise a new strategy in the middle of this, this fight and the Raiders are coming in, the farmers are trying to hold them off and you know, again, we don't spend a lot of time on this action sequence back and forth with the farmers and the raiders. We get a few things happening here and there. Shock Trooper goes out. What I thought was interesting is that Mando trusts her enough to hand over his pulse rifle and give it to her and let her go do the thing, get closer to the uh, uh, Imperial Walker and shoot it in the face, basically. And then it trips and it falls into their trap. Great. So teamwork makes the dream work, but I just thought that was interesting that He's, he's, um, he's trusting enough. And I don't know if Mando of episode one hands over his pulse rifle. Like if you recall, um, so I'm seeing a little growth in the character. I'm just going to point that out. Cause I don't, you know, there was a moment, I don't know if it's episode one or two where he's like weapons of my religion. He wouldn't even put the thing down to go talk to the Jawas. Now we find him a little, little, a little different Mando, right? Since this child's come into his life and he's made these life altering decisions. Now he's like, okay, I can hand it over to her. She's competent. She can go do the thing. I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting moment. So then we, a bunch of weeks have passed and baby Yoda is settling right in with the kids and, you know, being very entertaining and cute. 
Shock Trooper and uh, Mando just sort of chilling in, in, you know, on the porch, almost in their rocking chairs. And um, Shock Trooper kind of lays it out. She's like, you could chill here with this nice widow lady and, you know, be cool. Why don't you do that? Um, and then we get also the stakes of the helmet. She, she flat out asks him, like, and again, we're getting a little bit more about his background, about how his people operate, you know. And she's like, well, what happens if you take the helmet off in front of someone? And he's like, then you can never put it back on. So I guess that means that he would be kicked out of the Mandalorian tribe if he showed his face to another person. That's, I mean, she kind of was dismissive, like, oh, that's all. I was like, but that's kind of, that's all he knows. They took him as a child. He doesn't know any other lifestyle. This is the way, you know? So to ask him to live, live and be anything other than he is, I don't think that's a, I don't think it's going to work for him. So he makes a big decision to leave Baby Yoda um, with the farm people. And um, after the, after, uh, I think this is when the widow lady tries to put the moves on him and put the helmet on him or, or maybe all this is happening at the same time. But then there's another bounty hunter who's tracking Baby Yoda. Uh, man, uh, I'm sorry. And um, Shock Trooper goes out and sort of, you know, shoots that guy. And then the scene right before that, a question is put to Mando that I don't even think he knows how to answer. The, the widow woman is like, are you happy here? And again, he's never really thought about, I don't think he thinks about these sort of things, like his own happiness, his own comfort, his own whatever, you know. Um, he's just been about his business. Bounty, get the person, put him in carbon freeze, find my ship, bring him back, get paid, repeat. And now it's like someone's asking him, are you happy? It's like, ah. Uh, you know, I, I, that doesn't even compute. I remember there's this, I'm not going to talk about, I won't, well, I, I guess I will talk about Star Trek. There's a, there's this moment in Star Trek four where Spock is at the freaking, in the beginning, he's at the computers and he's doing all like, he's, he's like, you know, practicing his, you know, intelligence and all this, getting his brain back on track because he had been in, a, you know, McCoy had had his spirit in him, whatever. I'm totally off track, but, um, but as, there's a question that comes up. He's doing all these math computations and history and, and geography and, and calculations, all this stuff. And a simple question comes up on the Vulcan computer of how do you feel? And I felt like this was a similar moment with Mando here. It's like, you're, what are your emotions? He's not, he's not really tapped into that. So I thought that was great. So um, she asks, of course, the widow lady asks him to stay. And she's like, no. You know, he's like, no, I'm going to leave. Um, Baby Yoda here, though, and then bounty, um, Shock Trooper shoots the bounty hunter out in the woods, and then we realize that, oh, another obstacle, yet again, we can't stay here because the bounty hunters are going to keep coming for, for Baby Yoda. What I thought about that, that was great because we're, we've got this scene, this sort of re- relationship scene going between Mando and the, the widow at the same time that we're having sort of an action thing going on with uh, shock trooper and the bounty hunter out there. And it's like, because your hero doesn't have to, like I said this earlier, your hero doesn't have to do every damn thing. He doesn't have to save every single moment of your script or of your episode. Okay. It's good to sort of give other people their, their moments to shine, if you will. So realizing that this bounty hunter is going to keep coming, they, you know, there's a tearful, goodbye the kids bid a, bid a tearful goodbye to baby yoda and we sort of get this this you know wave goodbye mando gets on the little cart and off they go our cowboy is moving on uh, and that's the end of the episode 
I thought the A story, you know, was man, from Mando, you know, Mando's perspective is like, find a high, you know, we found a hiding place and we got to protect the hiding place. But that gets complicated, right? We find out there's an Imperial Walker. We find out that there's a bounty, bounty hunters are still coming. Okay. Uh, you know, and then the B story to me is about family. Between Mando and Baby Yoda, that's a fa- familiar family type relationship. And also between Mando and this, and this widow woman. Um, so the A story is um, uh, current, his current life. Like, you know, I've got to go do the thing. I've got to go f- find a hiding place, lay low because I, I you know, pissed off the guild and, and stole my bounty and took off. And the B story is like, he talks about his potential life, like what he could have with this widow woman, what he could have if he just, him and baby Yoda, like found a place to hide and live together. You know, it's like, so I thought that was, that's a cute, that's a cool, I don't know. The one, uh, the A story is like plot. The B story is relationships. That's how I'm kind of thinking of it. So that's about all I had to say about episode four. Sorry. I kind of rambled on quite a bit about that one, but it is kind of like one of my favorites so far. Uh, I'll be coming back hopefully with a part two to talk about episodes five, six, seven, and eight of season one of the Mandalorian. Hopefully you found some of this, um, rabble or babble, uh, helpful. Um, just the boilerplate stuff here. You can follow screenwriters rant room on Twitter. That's screenwriters RR. Uh, you could also leave a review for the show wherever you download your podcast really helps with the metrics to sort of, so, so people can find the show. You can also email uh, screenwritersrr at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, whatever. And you can find me uh, on Twitter at Linnell White. That's L-Y-N-E-L-L-E-W-H-I-T-E. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Bye. I'm going to say what I feel. And I promise to keep it real. Welcome to the Red Room. Well, you gotta be a rider till your fears are diminishing, the doubts are behind ya. It's hard to grind, and the business got me stressed in the rent room. We let that shit up off our chest. You know, the street nerds got no time for no caca. Sass in class, yes, they used to pull a kaja. Never have to guess when you're listening to Hilliard. He gon' bring more game than a shark playing billiards. It's all about the crap of screenwriting. It's exciting when you turn an outline into something enlightening. Your pen and words are like bullets in a gun. Write what you feel, say what you want. Welcome to the Red Room. Red Room. Red Room.